0: Welcome to the Get Cozy Podcast, where we talk all about that coziest of book genres, the cozy mystery. I'm your host, Christy Meyer, and I'll be bringing you weekly author interviews and keeping you up to date on all the hottest upcoming cozy mystery releases. So grab yourself a cup of your favorite hot beverage and let's get cozy. Hello, my cozy friends welcome back to get cozy podcast today you can go ahead and ditch those hot beverages and cozy sweaters instead grab a pair of sunglasses and a pina colada because we're chatting all about the trouble in paradise series with guest author carrie doyle and carrie is the best-selling author of over 11 novels including the cozy mystery series trouble in paradise and the hampton's murder mysteries so welcome to the show carrie Thank you so much for having me, and thank you to everybody for joining us today. Yeah, it's absolutely our pleasure. Um, The Trouble in Paradise series is just so much fun. I'm so excited to chat about it. So do you want to kick off the conversation by telling everyone what that series is about?
1: Sure. It starts, the first book is called um, It Takes Two to Mango, and it is about the protagonist. heroine is named Plum Lockhart and she, we first meet her and she's at the end of her publishing career. Unfortunately, the publishing industry is, you know, lots of magazines are closing down and she's editor-in-chief of a travel magazine and right away her position is eliminated. And it starts with her trying desperately to find a new job, but really there's not many jobs out there. So as a last resort on a whim, she takes a job as a villa broker at a resort in which is a fictional, fictional Caribbean Island. And she, um, is a villa broker at las Fruitas resort which means she rents out villas and right away she gets there and she realizes it was a big mistake and how can she get back to new york city she's not meant for the world the slow island life and the pace and everything but first she must rent out a house and unfortunately one thing leads to another and there's a murder and she inadvertently has to solve the murder in order to get herself back to new york
0: yes and it's just such a fun series i love the titles i love the settings and i love plum um she is just such a great character she's ambitious she's scrappy she's resourceful and admittedly she is uh very blunt and a bit self-centered And in Cozies, we frequently see main characters that are just practically perfect in every way, which certainly isn't a critique. I do love my cozy characters, Um, but it was also really refreshing to see a main character that had flaws and felt authentic. Um, So how did you go about developing her character?
1: Well, it's interesting. I think she's largely influenced by Agatha Raisin from the MC Beaton series. I happened to be reading them at the time. And I still am reading them at the time that she um, I was writing the book. And it's interesting because I did want to I wanted to differentiate her very much from Antonia Bingham, who's the protagonist of my Hampton murder mystery series. And Antonia's is all warm and she bakes cookies and she's loving and kind. And yes, Plum is sharp edges. She's ambitious. She's has no filter. She can be blunt. But I'm surprised so many people uh, th- there have the negative reactions about her. And it surprises me because it's sort of a fallacy that every person who's a heroine of a novel should be absolutely perfect. I always have loved a learning curve. That's why I really loved Mr. Darcy in pride and prejudice because he starts off prickly. And by the end, you see that there's kindness and warmth under there. He just doesn't wear it on his sleeve. Like a lot of other people do. And, you know, I'd wanted to give Plum a backstory where she came from sort of a sad childhood and neglected, and she's not someone who's anything has been given to her. She's had to totally forged her way her whole life. It's been no, no one's given her breaks now. And so I, I think she's a strong, confident woman who's flawed, but also underneath has a nice heart and, you know, definitely does have a journey to sort of look at herself and sort of examine what she needs to change to make herself an even better person.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. And I mean, like you said, she does have flaws, but she also has so many qualities that I really admired. And as a reader, it's exciting for me to read that first book and then uh, know that I'm going to get to watch this character like learn and develop and grow throughout a series. So I loved that.
1: That's so nice.
0: And uh, where did the name Plum Lockhart come from?
1: Well, the resort that uh, she goes to work at is called Las and every single house is named after a fruit. There's Casa Mango, which is featured in the first book. And there's, you know, other fruit houses. So I wanted her to have sort of a fruit name. And I remember there's um, that Plum was a nickname. Queen Victoria had a nickname Plum because she loved plums. So this Plum Lockhart, her actual real name is Vicky Lee, but she changes it to Plum because think- she thinks it sounds more sophisticated and fancy. And um, I think that does the trip. I actually went to high school with someone whose last name was Lockhart and I must have stuck in my head also.
0: (laughs) Wow. That's such a fun story too, the way that you tied that in with uh, Queen Victoria. What a neat inspiration to have for a character name.
1: Yes, definitely. And there's also another writer, um, Plum Sykes, who came out with some books back in the day, who was a fashion editor. So I thought that that sort of had some synergy with this character. Mm hmm.
0: And then, um, so today, it is December, uh, as we're recording, and it is just like a delightful escape to get to read about a sunny, beachy setting of Paraiso. Uh, so what inspired you to set your novel in a tropical location?
1: I actually reached out to a lot of cozy readers that I have worked with that have been, you know, reading some of my books for years, and I put it up there on Facebook and said, where would you like to have... You know what type of setting what type of profession would you like and a lot of them said they overwhelmingly wanted a tropical setting which surprised me it is challenging i will say writing a tropical setting i'm on book three that i'm writing right now because so much of mystery and danger comes with weather bad inclement weather storms and darkness and the day was gray and descriptions and so when it's sunny all the time it can be a challenge trying mm-hmm. to set the mood which i i found hard and how many ways can you say you know it's a gorgeous dazzling sunny day but i do think people appreciated the escapism and i did start writing it in march 2020 right when the pandemic was you know at the edge and it's sort of in my mind i was in Paraiso. i had it's based also i go i've gone for the past 14 years to the dominican republic and with my family for vacation and i actually was in the dominican republic and had to leave early because of the pandemic so oh, wow. i was still there in my mind writing about the, the descriptions very much based on a resort called casa de campo and so it brought me there so every time i feel like i've just been to the dominican republic or Puerto, but i obviously haven't i'm in new york
0: that's so interesting and I love uh that you actually got your readers involved in picking your setting um because I mean you we talk so often about the dynamic between like readers and authors and how each of you kind of bring something to the table in a book but to have them actually help pick your setting is so unique and cool I love that
1: yeah well definitely you want to you want to please the readers so they read the books Mm
0: mm-hmm Yeah, and uh, I feel like uh, destination novels are just so big right now when a lot of us like just don't feel safe traveling, especially internationally. Um, And I always adore destination cozies. Um, And it's just such a great way to get to travel vicariously and like feel that sense of adventure while we're stuck at home. Uh, So I'm wondering what are some of your favorite destination cozies? Well, right now
1: I'm listening, I listen to a lot of Cozy Mysteries on Audible. Uh And right now I'm listening to the Bruno Chief of Police mystery series by Martin Walker. And that it takes place in France, in a town in France. And it just transports me, talks all about the farmer's markets and the wine, and they're having a glass of wine after everything they do, uh-huh. <laughs> makes you want to drink all day. And it just the cheese and, and the culture. And i totally feel like I've been in France lately. And it's the same. I listen to the Hamish Macbeth. Um, again, those are MC Beaton's. Those are in Scotland. And um, I always feel like I'm there. Um, And once again, the Agatha raisin, so that I'm, um, you know, in the Cotswolds. It's true what you said. Everything makes you feel like you're there because they so much of it is that you keep revisiting these villages and that these are set in. That's what I like about Cozy Mysteries. It's the same characters. It's, you know, familiar. You're going back to them. You're reconnecting with them in every book.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, And those are great recommendations and then a couple of my favorite destination cozies that I would also add um, are Crime of Passion Fruit by Ellie Alexander, where uh, the main character from her Bake Shop Mysteries gets to go on a cruise. And then I also love Carline O'Connor's Irish Village Mysteries, um, which just has a very different vibe, of course, but it's so utterly charming. I'll have
1: to check those out. I don't know those.
0: Yeah, yeah, those ones are a lot of fun. And then um, I've been meaning to read the MC Beaton ones forever, so I definitely need to bump that one up my TBR, it sounds like.
1: Yes, I love them. And I also love the the TV show of Agatha Raisin, too. So all the listening and everything is really good.
0: Yes, I need to read and watch that. That would be a great way to keep myself busy during these uh, winter months.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: Yeah. So one theme in It Takes Two to Mango that really struck me was the idea that endings are also new beginnings. And I loved Plum's attitude as she encountered like very various endings throughout the novel. She regrouped and then she moved forward in a new direction with such gusto. And that's definitely an attitude that I'd love to embrace more in my own life. And I was wondering if that's a trait that you and Plum have in common.
1: I would say yes. I've always been very goal-oriented, especially in my career. And when I felt that I've sort of been successful at something, I've finished it and moved on. I started my career in magazines, and I was I worked in New York at Harper's Bazaar magazine, and then they were launching the Russian edition of Harper's Bazaar. And I had been a Russian major and worked and studied in Russia in college, so I moved over to Moscow when I was 23. And I was at Harper's Bazaar for a year, and then they launched the Russian edition of Mary Claire magazine, which I became the founding editor-in-chief of. And I sort of, you know, worked there for a few years to get it settled, and when I felt that it was up and running and could have the full, just a Russian editor-in-chief, I moved on. And then I had a career as a screenwriter. I wrote with a friend, and we made a movie, and then we did... um, Ten, we sold a bunch of screenplays together and did a bunch of books together. And once I was ready to do a different type of book, we amicably parted ways. And I started doing my mysteries. So my career has been compartmentalized, but I've been really happy with it. How it's gone from different, you know, screenwriting to magazine, magazines to screenwriting to books. To you know, my previous books I did with my writing partner were um, more Upper East Side, New York, gossipy books. But this Uh is more. a, now I'm doing mysteries, obviously.
0: Wow, how neat to get to um, experience the publishing industry in so many different ways. Like the just those kind of experiences are so invaluable um, in life in general. But that's really neat, and I bet it's something uh, that you can bring into your fiction as well, which we definitely see through Plum's character.
1: Yes, definitely. That's what yes. she's trying to do.
0: And I also really enjoyed how Plum discussed the way that people reacted to her and her sometimes abrasive personality versus how people reacted to men with the same type of persona in the fields that she worked in. Um, And it kind of felt like Damien's character really served to highlight that point. So can we expect to see more of Plum and Damien going head to head in future novels?
1: Definitely. Um, I think Damien's a good foil to her. He's so unctuous and arrogant and he gets under her skin but i do think there's a little frisson of spark between them um i don't uh, not necessarily romantic but sometimes when you hate someone so much you love them you know what i mean Uh he just you know it's like different ends of the spectrum he really gets her um but yes he's definitely you know Gets away with a lot because he's a man and she doesn't get away. And it's true women. I mean, I'm a product of 10 years of an all girls school and four years of an all women's college. So there's a little okay. bit of a feminist streak in me. I have sisters and aunts. But, um, you know, I think that uh, it's it's going back and hearkening back to what I said about Mr. Darcy is, you know, he's so accepted. Immediately people love Mr. Darcy. Even though he's as opinionated and gruff as Plum is, I'm not saying, you know, I write her as well as, you know, Jane Austen does, but there's definitely a get out of jail free card for men to be, you know, aggressive and bossy, whereas women don't have that liberty.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I just, I loved that dynamic between Plum and Damien. Um, It's so fun to see them on the page together. And I'm uh, very excited to watch Plum kind of, like, stick it to him in upcoming novels and just see how they both kind of, like, develop throughout the series.
1: Yeah, they do. I hope so.
0: So there's a wonderful reference in It Takes Two to Mango to Miss Marple, Jessica Fletcher, and Agatha Raisin, who, of course, are all very famous cozy mystery sleuths. So who are some of your favorite amateur sleuths?
1: I really love Lady Georgie in Reese Bowen's Royal Spinus series. I think she's a lot of fun. That's another one that takes me back in time to England. And um, I just think she's uh, such a fun, young, great character. Um, Additionally, I, the past, I've only, there's only been two books, but I love the Thursday Murder Club group that's a new series about the retirees again in england all these (laughs) i guess i read a lot of british books but i just (laughs) love these that these are um elderly group of people who are in a you know in a it's not it's like a retirement community and they're solving crimes and and it's so wonderful to see people that age represented in fiction and and being active and not you know dying and not looking for love these are accomplished people mm-hmm. who are just solving crime which I love
0: yeah I actually just picked up um a copy of the Thursday Murder Club and I'm so excited to read it I just love that premise um, and then another book for me with a sleuth that I love uh, is the Poppy McAllister series by Libby Klein um, cause she's a protagonist, a protagonist that's just also like very smart and she has this hilarious internal monologue going throughout all of the novels and it's just really funny. I- that's one that I definitely laugh out loud while I'm reading.
1: That sounds like a lot of fun. Mm-hmm.
0: So we can't talk about the Trouble in Paradise series without talking about Juan Kevin Uh, And I just thought he was such a dreamy leading man. And I'm curious to know if that uh, if the series were to be adapted into a television series, who you would cast to play him?
1: That's a good question. I think lately the person who came to my mind was Mark Consuelas, Kelly Ripa's husband. But really... you know, like a, I'd sort of like a little bit of a Javier Bardem or, you know, who back in the day would be good is Benjamin Bratt from the Law and Order series. I think he's really suave. I guess he would be my first choice. I don't know how old he is, but I haven't seen him lately. He might be a little older than the one Kevin, but I think he was, you know, a really compelling actor.
0: That's hilarious that you said that because as I was reading that novel, I was totally envisioning Benjamin Bratt. Um, Oh my God. Yeah, that's funny. We've got that like reader author ESP going on.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then uh, another thing that I love about these novels is just what a great job you do of creating a cast of suspicious characters and red herrings and you really gave each of them like equal page time and fully developed motivations and because of that i could never guess who done it by the end of the book which i just love So how do you approach the task of threading all those subplots and all of that character development through your novels? A lot of times I realize that I subconsciously
1: put in red herrings that I don't realize are there until the very end of the novel. I'm like, oh, I'm glad I put in that thing because this is what, you know, this means this and this can have you be suspicious about this. And, And it's really the second draft. I layer in a lot more red herrings if there need be or more scenes that are missing. But um, I mean, I guess you have to look at every single person as a suspect in the beginning and make the reader believe that anyone could have done it. And in that case, they all have to do something or say something sketchy. So you're suspicious.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. And it's kind of interesting how sometimes when you're writing, it feels like a the book's all like the story's telling itself to you instead of <laughs> vice versa. It's um, so, so true. Yeah, that's so funny that those kind of come to you before you even know that they're red herrings.
1: It's true. Yeah, definitely. Some and some books write themselves that i've written and and some characters really like damian is a character who writes himself like he like comes into my body and writes himself there's a character <laughs> in my um hamptons murder mystery series larry lipper and his interaction is sort of similar with the main character there antonia bingham and and he, larry again writes himself I, I i'm like i don't even i'm like possessed when i write these two guys right
0: yeah, it's it's always so funny to hear authors say that, but it's completely true. And I always feel like if when you get like writer's block, it's because like you're not letting the characters do what they want to do, and sometimes you just have to like let go and just like let the story take control. Yes, you definitely need to have fun with them
1: because that'll be mm-hmm. that's but it's the the writing that people like to read the most if you're having fun writing it.
0: yep, absolutely. So one of the great things about cozies is that from the settings to the interesting career paths, they do serve as a bit of wish fulfillment, both for the readers and the authors. So if you were a main character in a Cozy, what type of setting would you want your story to take place in and what career would you want to have? I mean, I think uh,
1: I don't want to say I already said it as being a magazine writer, but that's what I know, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I think I'd like to be in in England in the English countryside. That would be, the, I mean, that's where most of the cozies cozies I read are, um, and and a language I speak, right? And maybe something in sort of travel industry so that it, people are coming and going, and I have interactions that take me a little bit. And actually, if I could travel, be traveling out of that location, that would be maybe travel agent there
0: Uh uh-huh yeah that does sound like just like the perfect balance between like adventure and coziness which I mean really the trouble in paradise series you know nails as well so
1: yes although I don't think I would like to live full-time in the Caribbean as beautiful as it is I need the changes of weather I did live in LA for six years and I loved it but you do as a native New Yorker I missed you know the seasons
0: uh-huh yeah yeah yeah, for sure. I, I, I love the seasons. It would be hard for me not to have fall. That's just like the coziest of seasons. Um, and it's just, it's so nice to get to enjoy that every year, even though it seems like it's getting shorter and shorter every year. It's true. They What do they say? October is the new September. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I know that you're a multi-genre author. So what is it about cozy mysteries specifically that draws you to writing them?
1: Well, when I first wrote Death on Lily Pond Lane, that was my first Hampton's murder mystery series, and I actually ended up doing a prequel, which came out first, Death on Windmill Way. But I wrote the book, and I didn't actually know the term cozy mystery. I didn't know that was a genre. I read a lot of um, Miss Marple and and Agatha Christie and Hercule Poirot, and I just knew that I didn't want. I don't really write graphic violence. I didn't. I could never write a police procedural because I don't want to do that much research on. (laughs) I don't know any. You know what police do and how it all works. It's too technical for me. So I want to do a soft crime where someone like me could solve the crime not knowing a lot of things except just going on their wits and so that's what drew me to it. I was I and I love mysteries. I read mysteries, I watch mysteries. My favorite movies are mysteries and thrillers. So I think that's what drew me to to that genre.
0: Yeah, that completely makes sense. Cozy's really um are that way of like experiencing mysteries in a way that feels safe um, and at the end of the book you ultimately feel like comforted uplifted and like justice was served that you don't always get in all other genres
1: it's true and often in cozy mysteries they make the the murder victims horrible you know what mm-hmm. I mean? You want them dead anyway right the world is a better place without them
0: right yeah yeah that's very true and uh the murderers usually are people that you're not really like rooting for as well True. Totally. Yeah. So the Trouble in Paradise books certainly aren't your only published novels. So would you like to tell us about some of your other books today that our listeners can pick up? Sure. I
1: have a YA young adult book that came out in the spring called The Murder Game. And I'm excited, just got nominated by Suspense Magazine as one of the top young adult books in 2021. Awesome. And that is set at a boarding school, a fictional boarding school in Connecticut, where four of the students, two girls, two boys, sneak out in the middle of the night. And then they they hear all these noises and then they find out the next day that a faculty member has been killed. And they that's again the main character, Luke Chase, has to become an amateur sleuth. Um, the stakes are high because people he loves are accused of this crime and he has to figure out what happened. So I'm really happy with that book. And uh, I think, you know, it's doing really well. Um, And then there's also my Hampton Murder Mystery series, which I, you know, live most part-time in the Hamptons. And so that's set at a fictional inn. And then prior to that, I was doing, as I said, more Upper East Side New York books um, and teen books. So I would say go with the murder game or the murder, Hampton Murder Mysteries are more Mm -hmm. recent.
0: Yeah, I, I think YA thrillers are probably my second favorite genre. And I do feel like uh, there's just like a similar vibe to to Cozy sometimes with YA thrillers. They're, they're not usually like quite as dark or graphic as adult thrillers are. So those are like great crossover genres.
1: So the title Murder Game and the cover, I didn't get to pick. Barnes & Noble actually picked it. My publisher works with them. So like in the same way that I reached out to Cozy readers to find out Where they want an island you know what um, cozy mystery set the publishers now reach out to books like barnes noble and say what covers do you think will sell what titles and so they picked it so that can actually be um some people some of the reviews are like oh the cover and title have nothing to do with it but if you take that away i think it's uh, you know it's it's a fun book and um it's just sort of interesting what what they do these days in publishing to sell books
0: that is so interesting um because it it seems backwards when you're outside of the industry that it would be the publisher asking the bookseller what the cover yes. should look like but it does make sense.
1: It's true. I mean writing for the most part is not so precious anymore. It used to be that the author had a manuscript and you couldn't touch a word and uh-huh. they were dining with their agents and it was all this but now it's, you know, it's an industry and and there's a lot of competition so and not a lot of space and so many books out there so they want to make sure that, you know, they're attracting attention and selling the books that they p- publish.
0: Right, it does make sense. And while we've been chatting, I uh, I did pull the book up on Goodreads, and I do love that cover. That's definitely something I would buy. So I think uh, they gave good advice.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a good
0: cover. Uh huh, it really is. Um, and can you tell us anything about what you're working on right now?
1: Well, right now I'm working on book three of the Trouble in Paradise series, called The Girl with the Dragon Fruit Tattoo.
0: Cute. And
1: yeah, <laughs> and that's taking place on a yacht. It's almost a um like Death on the Nile type book. Um, and I actually just went on the on the Nile. Um, I went on a vacation in Egypt and I went on the actual boat that Agatha Christie had her honeymoon on and where wow. they filmed um, the 1978 movie, Death on the Nile and the 2004 Poirot TV show. You actually watch it when you're on the boat. It's a steamship Sudan. It was amazing. And then we stayed at the hotel in Aswan, the Cataract Hotel where she wrote Death on the Nile. So it was very inspirational and really a trip of a lifetime Um, and so that's i'm writing that book now and then additionally my son and i um he he's very involved with film and i have a film background so we're going to try and adapt the murder game for tv
0: oh wow that would be so neat and man that trip just sounds incredible i didn't know that you could actually like go on that same boat that uh, agatha christie had been on that's amazing
1: it's amazing. It's it's a, it's a trip of a lifetime. I can't recommend it enough. Egypt was spectacular, and I'm having my year of Agatha Christie because um, in April I'm going on the Orient Express with my husband. So, <gasps> trying oh to get it all goodness.
0: in. Oh my goodness, man! Yeah. I need to uh, copy your bucket list because that's, yes. that's fantastic. <laughs> Yes. Well, you can follow me
1: on Instagram and see some of the pictures. So,
0: yeah, I definitely do. So we'll have to share those um, with our listeners uh, as we ramp up to the release of the episode, because that just sounds so neat. Yes, it was amazing. Yeah. So before we wrap up, let's do a quick round of lightning questions so readers can get to know you, Carrie Doyle, a little bit better. Okay. So coffee or tea?
1: Um, coffee in the morning, but tea in the afternoon.
0: There's so many authors that answer that question the exact same way. I love that. That's really funny. Uh huh. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And the book you're reading right now.
1: I am reading the new Michael Connelly book. I don't even know the title of it because I read every single, I've read every single book he's ever read. So when it comes out, I I get it and I'm reading it.
0: Yeah. I bet that's a, a lot at this point.
1: Yes, he has a lot of books, but they're all worth it. They're paid yes. turners.
0: And what's one of your favorite movies of all time? The Silence of the Lambs. Oh, yeah, that one's excellent. And your favorite season? Summer. That used to be mine. Um, and then now we're just covered in smoke here in Utah because uh, our mountains trap all the smoke from Oregon and... Uh, California every year so we're just covered in smoke from the beginning of July through the first of October now (laughs) that's horrible yeah I'm sorry it's a mess I mean I I obviously feel worse for the people in Oregon and California but it is like unsafe to go outside and breathe the air here so yeah hopefully things will turn around and we can enjoy summer again (laughs) yes yeah and I think I already know the answer to this question but what's your favorite genre to read mystery yes and your favorite food pizza Ooh, mine too and the author you'd most like to meet
1: Curtis Sittenfeld I love her books she's not mystery but
0: I just love her books um, Uh all of her books great pick and and the location you'd most like to visit
1: the Cotswolds oh that would be so fun yes I lived in London for a year but I never made it there so i'd like to get i was supposed to go there before the pandemic so hopefully Uh i'll get there
0: yeah hopefully um the it gets a little bit safer to travel and restrictions can lighten up a bit so that you can go there because that sounds magical yes
1: and perfect for a mystery writer
0: Mm -hmm, absolutely so the second book in the Trouble in Paradise series, Something's got Guava Give, is out on January 22nd. I have read it, and it is so much fun and definitely the perfect read to escape the winter blues. So be sure to get those pre-orders in. Um, and before we sign off, Carrie, do you want to tell our listeners where they can find your books and how they can connect with you online?
1: Sure. Um, my books can be found at any independent bookstore, Amazon and Audible and uh, and. Uh, Barnes and & Noble and then my website is com, and you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Carrie Doyle K and Facebook. Wonderful.
0: Great. Well, Carrie, it has been so much fun to chat with you. Thank you again for taking the time to be on the show. I'm so excited to read more of your upcoming books and we'll definitely have to have you on the show again.
1: Yes, I would love to. Thank you so much, Christy.
0: Wonderful. It's been a lot of fun. It has been fun. And listeners, stick around because I'll be right back with some recommendations for some upcoming cozies that you don't want to miss. At Get Cozy Podcast, we're going to be ending each episode with recommendations for some upcoming cozy mystery releases that you simply can't miss. So without further ado, here are a couple of cozies to add to your to-read list. My first recommendation this week is for Murder at the Bake Sale by Lee Hollis. This is the second book in the Maya and Sandra mystery series. It came out on November 30th from Kensington. And in this book, Maya and Sandra are friends, fellow moms, and private detective partners in a picturesque waterfront city of Portland, where sometimes their cases can get as rocky as the main coast. While private investigator Maya Kendrick is still mentoring her new partner, PTA president Sandra Wallage in the detective game. The two women don't need incredible powers of deduction to know their marriages are on the rocks. With Maya's ex-cop husband in prison and Sandra's son and her spouse separated from her, both find themselves investigating the dating scene until Diego Sanchez turns up dead. The flirtatious high school Spanish teacher who had eyes for Maya was poisoned by cookies from a bake sale fundraiser for a Portland High class trip to Spain. Hired by the students to find out who killed their popular and beloved teacher Including their own children, Maya and Sandra get a real education in parenting, relationships, and murder as their search for who done it leads them deep into the unpleasant realities found in the small town politics and gossip of their main community. My second recommendation is for A Plus One for Murder, which is the first book in the Friend for Hire mysteries by Laura Bradford. This book comes out on December 7th from Berkeley. And in this novel, entrepreneur Emma Westlake is reinventing herself as a hired friend when murder gets in the way. Emma Westlake has always wanted to be in a business for herself. As a kid, she had her own successful lemonade stand and dog walking business. And when she entered adulthood, Emma sunk all her cash into her dream job of travel planning. But as her customers become more and more internet savvy, the need for her services declines. At a loss for what to do next, she turns to an elderly friend who suggests she try to get paid for doing something she's really good at, being a paid companion. Emma thinks it's a crazy idea until requests start pouring in. Big Max from down the block wants her to act as his wingman at the local senior center's upcoming dance. Nurse practitioner Stephanie needs a workout partner, and writer Brian Hill asks Emma to be his cheering section at an open mic night. Brian will be reading from his latest work and wants to know someone will clap for him when he's done. When Emma balks at the notion that people wouldn't, he tells her the room will be filled with people he's invited most of whom will likely want him dead by the time he's done reading. Assuming he's joking, she laughs. But when Brian steps up to the mic and clears his throat to speak, he promptly drops dead. Emma is one of the last people to see him alive, and so she becomes an immediate suspect. She'll have to cozy up to a killer to save her skin and her new business. That's all for this week's episode. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at GetCozyPodcast to see which authors we'll be hosting in our upcoming episodes. Also follow me at Cozy christie that's Cozy, K-R-Y-S-T-I, to see which cozies I'm reading and recommending. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, happy reading and stay cozy.